0: Hello and welcome to the Cleopatra's Bling podcast. I'm your host, Olivia Cummings, founder of the jewellery brand Cleopatra's Bling. Cleopatra's Bling travels around the world meeting fascinating creatives, craftsmen, and women, and cultural experts to inspire our artisanal collections. This podcast invites you into those intimate conversations which bring tradition and practices from the past into the present. probably seen a resurgence of cooking videos on Instagram or Facebook with people from around the world preparing delicious food. In some cases, these chefs are preparing meals in the same way that they've been preparing them for thousands of years. It's amazing to see how these traditions have been passed on from generation to generation and now around the world with the help of social media. And so for this special foodie episode of our show, we're talking with Vicky Benison, aka Pastor Grannies. Vicky is the founder of Pasta Grannies, a YouTube channel preserving the pasta-making traditions of pasta grannies around the world. Vicky worked in international development and has spent the past few years as a food writer and journalist. Pasta Grannies was born out of a desire to document the heritage of handmade pasta-making today. The concept is simple. A nonna, or granny in Italian, makes pasta in front of a camera. It is charming and endearing and keeps pasta-making alive. We spoke to Vicky about ancient pasta-making traditions, how they've been transformed today, and the secret to making perfecta. pasta. Enjoy. Hi, Vicky. Hello. (laughs) So you're a food journalist. I imagine you have tons of favorite food. What was so special about pasta that made you start this
1: project? It wasn't so much the pasta as the women who were making the pasta. That I found very interesting. I was um, in Italy, um, faffing around, really um, doing some research on another book which never saw the light of day. And in the process of that, I um, noticed that uh, women over the age of seventy-five uh, were really the ones—only the one, the only women that actually made pasta on a daily basis. And I thought this was a domestic skill that was dying out. Um, You know, pasta isn't going to disappear, but it's being professionalized. Um, And I wanted to make a record of these women um, because younger women, of course, um, you know, they're all going out to work. Um, They're too busy to make pasta, which is, you know, normal. This is how the way that this is the way the world works. So um, I thought, I know, let's just celebrate these older women. And uh, so I picked up a video camera. Um, without ever having picked up a video camera before um, and got started.
0: (laughs) Wow, that's amazing. So I suppose (laughs) we could say that you felt the need to preserve those pasta making traditions?
1: Yes, I think it's not, it's pasta traditions and it's uh, women's traditions, domestic skills uh, that are important. And I could have done bread, for example, or or something like that. But, you know, this is a generation of women that had to make pasta to put food on the table. Um, For everyone younger, it's been a choice. Um, You know, these are women who all had to um, pick up, um, were given um, little bits of pasta from about the age of five onwards because women were expected to be able to do this. Um, Particularly, I've had stories from Amelia Romagna by um, women who um, said that they couldn't get married without being able to make pasta. It was considered an essential life skill. Um, and I thought that was fantastic. These women have a kind of muscle memory uh, which is disappearing. Um, and so, yeah. I
0: suppose that sort of semi-answers my next question. Why is it pasta grannies and not grandparents?
1: Oh, well, yes. <laughs> well... Yeah, no, I mean, if if there are, you know, there are occasionally we find pasta grandpas. Um, It's either that they have picked up pasta making in uh, later life, um, or they've been widowed, or uh, something like that. They've, or they're botanists who are kind of finding ways to cook their herbs, and, you know, pasta is one vehicle for it. It's that kind of thing that men have wandered into it. It, You know, pasta making definitely had a pink label. to the task, it wasn't something that men did in that generation of women, of people. Um, so yeah.
0: So what is the sentiment then amongst the nonne? Why do they feel it's important to keep young Italians replicating this in their own family life? <laughs>
1: um, I don't know if there is a sentiment, if at all. I mean, I, I think uh, They shrug their shoulders and go, well, "It's a shame um, that you know my daughter's too busy." And of course, because they're still alive, they're still making it. Um, and I don't know what will happen in 20 years time. Um, I think, you know, Nona will still be the person that makes a fabulous Sunday lunch, but actually what that Sunday lunch will be, um, is something different. It won't be pasta made by her. Um, they probably go out to a restaurant or something. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So how do you find the Nonna? I have a granny headhunter, a granny finder. Um, she's called Livia de Giovanni. And um, uh, she and I work together kind of targeting grannies, if you like. You know, we we rely on, <laughs> we rely on word of mouth. Um, or sometimes we kind of, you know, go through the local mayors of small towns. We sort of find out if there is a food festival and if, you know, who organizes it. We'll ask them to give us recommendations for, for women to be filmed. And so far, so good. I always worry that we'll run out. <laughs> well, I lived in Naples for two years, so I'm sure I could pass on some to you. Oh, yes. We've just been to Na- uh, Naples, yeah. <laughs> we went to the island of Ischier, um, and it was fantastic. Every village is slightly different and, of course, they all think they're absolutely right and everyone else is wrong. And I keep saying, look, I'm just the, I'm just the messenger, you know. I didn't make this up. <laughs> yes. So what is it like to film the
0: non-nare-making their recipes?
1: Yeah, they're they're flattered and uh, surprised. Um, I, I think they're quite self-effacing. There's, it's not the initiative hasn't come from them to be filmed. They all have to be persuaded to be filmed. I I get very um, sort of sentimental with all the women who are over ninety. Um, you know, the ninety-seven-year-olds, the ninety-five-year-olds, and the fact that they're still active and enjoying life. You know, you think, wow, I'm very humbled by their example um and uh so that's one thing so like i love all my 90 year olds over 90 year olds and they have such stories to tell as as well i mean you don't get them on it's one of the reasons i wrote the book was so that i could try and get some stories down that you know that you can't fit into a youtube um, episode um so that's why the book has um stories and recipes um and so and, and the other thing is that italian's ability to make a party out of nothing um you know quite often half the village turns up and are behind the camera and you know someone finds a bottle of wine and then suddenly there's a party which i adore that kind of approach to life yeah
0: it seems like you really enjoyed participating in that culture what did you learn about the diversity of the ways in which pasta is prepared all over italy
1: yeah, I mean, so there are loads of regions, not just Italy, that make pasta. Um, what's unique about Italy is the diversity of the shapes and the names. And I think that's partly down to dialect and also um, that pasta making is a group activity. I mean, it was something that women get together and have a good gossip while they make it. Um, and unique consensus about what it is that you're making <laughs> when you're in a group of people. So you end up with a name that they've all decided to call it and and a shape. So you get this kind of mishmash of pastor names and shapes. That's why each village is different. Each parish is different, slightly different. Um, and I think that's how it's come about because Italy is so mountainous and there was very little sort of interaction between one side of the mountain and the other. And, and you know, it's only relatively recently that we've all got motorways and all that kind of thing. So that's how the diversity of pasta um, evolved in Italy. And then it changes again. I think, you know, what you find in even in Australia, I suppose. But I mean, I've, I've only been to over to the States um, and, and then the ingredients change. So the pasta changes, the pasta dish changes Um, So that's quite interesting, yeah.
0: So what were the origins of pasta making? Because you hear so many different stories about it being Chinese or Asian and Italians would never agree with that, of course. But what have you
1: learnt? I understand it was Sicily, uh, somewhere around – it was the Sicilians, but it was the Arabs in Sicily that started making something that looked vaguely like pasta. There are also other things like um, people can have seen frescoes with the Etruscans doing something that they've seen the tools that could have made pasta, whether it did or not. Um, so, you know, we're talking quite a long time ago. Um, and then I can't actually, I'd have to look it up what the actual dates are. But, you know, eventually it, dried pasta was something that you could travel and therefore it sort of spread across Italy. Um, so it was from Sicily that it started. An, an an Arab scholar noted it somewhere around the 5th century, I think.
0: <laughs> Amazing. So how do you think pasta connects to everyday life in Italy, apart from being, well, I guess the main component of a lot of Italian diets? Do you think it connects people?
1: I don't, yeah, I don't think it is a component of each meal. I mean, it's a true that even dogs get pasta for lunch. Um, it... uh I think the development of pasta as a daily dish is something that's happened since the Second World War. And because dried pasta is something that you had to buy, um, it was a middle-class aspiration to be able to go out and buy pasta. Making your own, you needed to be able to afford the flour. Um, So uh, you have pasta... Oh, it's quite a long subject, but basically, um, you could you would make pasta when you could afford to make it, and it was quite often a Sunday thing, um, and uh, so. Quite a lot of the kind of more everyday pastas are the soup ones and the gnocchi ones where you're maybe cutting. I'm thinking of a a dish in Abruzzo where you're actually kind of cutting it with polenta and then you're making little balls and then you put it into a soup and stuff like that. So the, the big dishes like lasagna was never an everyday dish. This is for Christmas um uh, and uh you know the meat ragu's are meat uh, meat was only eaten you know two or three times a year originally so these are special occasion things and then the everyday aspect of it has developed um since uh, the second world war or at least throughout the 20th century um you know during fascism and the lead up to the second world war there was quite a lot of um of uh, food shortages so you know there was that aspect of it and pasta there's a woman called uh karima moyanoki who's written a book on it it's quite interesting but um so the sort of dynamics of society you know pasta has reflected that it's sort of pasta as a national italian thing has only sort of been the case you know since the beginning of the 20th century um and of course you have different pastas um so the up in the north it's the egg paste egg-based pastas and then down in the south it's the semolina the durum wheat um, based pastas and of course you get this you still get meat sauces down there but then you've got different sort of types of vegetables because you're in a much hotter climate so up north you'll get more of the kind of zucca and that you'll make that with a gnocchi for example or you'll put it into a ravioli and you'll serve it with a um, you know, the capolacces, and so you'll have butter and sage serve with it. So it's quite a different approach, which is the wonder of it, yeah.
0: Oh, I'm starting to feel hungry. I'm wondering how does the image we have of pasta outside of Italy compare to the image of pasta within Italy?
1: I don't know how to answer that. The I think uh, the image in Britain I think is, well, the way that we eat pasta is slightly different and we eat bigger bowls of it, for example. I think people are more exp- experiential and uh do things to pasta that they would never think of doing in italy there is more it's more traditional um how you eat um pasta in italy (laughs) um yeah. So, I mean, people aren't kind of hidebound by all that tradition. They go, oh, you know, what shall I do with this spaghetti? I know, you know, I'll add a ragu and everyone in Italy would fall over in horror because they know it's only tagliatelle that you have with a ragu or whatever. Um, yeah. So I think, um yeah, but I think the, you know, pasta is a universally loved dish or ingredient. Um, uh, so I think it's a, you know, enjoyed as much in the uk as it is in italy almost mm. sorry i was just thinking i mean it does still tend to be a lunchtime thing in italy as well that the people you know they, a they don't eat breakfast b they'll have it at lunch and then you know in the evenings it'll be something like a salad so they that sort of the dynamics of eating is slightly different in italy they all still go home for lunch if they can as well. And and if they don't, you'll find on the sort of industrial sites that there'll be a canteen uh, for the workers that still does really quite good food, um, quite reasonably priced uh, meals where, of course, pasta is the option. Mm-hmm. So what
0: have we learnt from these Italian elders and how Italian cuisine has adapted to accommodate really hard times of the country during which food was scarce?
1: Well, they're very frugal. My grannies never throw anything away. I mean, I have one example of, you know, the pasta water isn't poured down the sink. It's actually used to rinse dishes. Um, oh, wow. And <laughs> um, but, you know, if you've got any leftover meat, then that's actually put into a ravioli. Uh, you don't throw it away. Um, so also the sort of seasonality of it. Um, is important you know you wouldn't think of using zucchini in the middle of winter although that's changing um, a little bit and I think these women are also very active it's not just um, the food that they make which is often very simple I mean our grannies only ever learn to make uh, two maybe you know one two maximum three pastas in their lives they only do that um, whereas we think, oh my gosh, you know, there's sort of hundreds of pastors to learn. They don't worry about everybody else's pastors. <laughs> you know, people in people in Liguria aren't worried about what they're doing down in Calabria. And yeah, these women are very active. They've they never sit down. You never see a sort of comfy chair anywhere. <laughs> it's um. And they're very connected with their family and with the community and things like that. So there's kind of sort of a bunch of uh, life lessons around that, you know, staying up to date with your friends and community and, and things is also important uh, for these women. I think we could call
0: pasta grannies a kind of pasta making preservation project. Yeah. <laughs> As someone working to preserve these traditions, which parts do you see as being best preserved and which are most at risk of being lost?
1: Um, I think people kind of use gadgets more and more or they, or they go around to their local pasta shop and buy things. So I think, um, I think in Romania, which is sort of along the Po Valley, that there are women who kind of still expect to make it the weekends which is not the same thing as we're making it every day so i think pasta as i mentioned previously is being professionalized it's changing you know people aren't going to stop eating pasta though of course italy is also affected by the kind of gluten free thing um so pe- less pasta is being eaten more fast food is being eaten so there's sort of there are changes afoot in the way that italians eat My local supermarket, for example, you can now buy lots of gluten free products. You can buy, um, you can even buy ginger. When I first moved to Italy, you couldn't buy ginger. (laughs) So there's kind of, there's sort of influences of, you know, Japanese and Asian slightly um, on their cooking, you know. Um, So the media has an influence on that. Um, Yeah, so. So it's changing. I don't think it's – so it, it will be lost. I think these skills will be lost. Um, and I think it's it's in some ways a good thing. I mean, you know, people are wealthier. They have more leisure time or they're using it differently and one shouldn't be too, too romantic about poverty. I mean, you know, the reason these women were doing it every day is because they had to. And now women have choice and that's fantastic. Um So you know, in setting up the channel, it was about sort of you know celebrating them and waving that generation goodbye. It's not an expectation that we're all going to go and be housewives and and you know work work ourselves to the bone with making pasta on a daily basis. um, Unless you particularly want to, and then that's it's great. That's a choice. Um, Yeah, I imagine
0: it creates a kind of generational divide between the older and younger Italians um i
1: think i think um every, well i the big the big difference is women who were starting to learn pasta before the second world war so the over 80 the over 80s um and then the women born after that and and, and it becomes more the younger you are the less likely you are to be interested in pasta and making pasta um particularly i would say the sort of women in their... Forties and fifties who who became more educated and you know had degrees and all that kind of thing. It's quite important to demonstrate that you had left the kitchen behind. Youngsters coming through, and and now I include young men as well as young women, um, are more aware of traditions and are more interested in in continuing those traditions. And I've sort of visited. Pasta making classes in Faenza, which is in in Emilia Romagna, and you know the guys are learning how to make pasta because it's a good way of of impressing the girls. <laughs> so, so you know, it could be that in another ten years, it's a guy thing, but it's not a woman thing. You know, um, so we'll have to see how that goes.
0: <laughs> okay, so how do these non then feel about using machines when they make pasta? Uh,
1: the further north you are, the more likely you'll see women using the gadgets, you know, the pasta machines. Um, You know, in the the Veneto, I think it's sort of, you know, it's practically unheard of to sort of still be using a rolling pin. So, um, you know, pragmatism rules. Also, I mean, sometimes we recently filmed a 97 year old who used a rolling pin until she was 82. And then because she's slightly unsteady on her feet, you know, she, she now uses a machine. So there, there is those uh, considerations of, um, um, you know, I still want to make pasta, but actually it's quicker. I I don't think actually a, a machine, a machine is useful if you're short of space, you know, the, the main thing about, um, uh, particularly the egg pastas where you're using 90 centimetre rolling pins is that you need a table (laughs) to do it and you may not have that in your kitchen you know so it's, it's those are the kind of considerations personally I think it's just as quick and just as easy to use a rolling pin if you have the space.
0: So speaking of which could you give us an example of a traditional recipe that has endured the test of time do you think there's one that has really stood out to you? Oh, they all do.
1: You know, it's the Well, the Italians are very good at preserving things. Um, I think the ninety-seven-year-old uh, um, Albertina, who we is the current uh, lady on um on YouTube, uh, you know, she learned from her grand. She's ninety-seven years old, and she learned from her grandmother when she was seven. So she was born in nine. So she was making pasta in nineteen twenty-nine from a grandmother who must have been about sixty. So that recipe has not changed. In over a hundred years, which is amazing, isn't it? <laughs> and what recipe did she make? It's um tortellini, um, which is a classic at Christmas time. These tiny little sort of um folded uh these um ravioli that you get in Bologna and Modena. Tortellini is always served traditionally in Brodo, um in a in a meat stock, yeah. Um, I mean nowadays people sometimes serve it um a with uh, which is a dried thing with different sources but traditionally in brodo. Uh when we're researching I eat uh, pasta three or four times a day. Um because they don't make um the dish for YouTube, they make the pasta for you and of course you have to eat it at the end. And it's rude not to. <laughs> fortunately I have a <laughs> fortunately I have a cameraman who can eat pasta like Endlessly and and not put on weight. So (laughs) he gets to do it. (laughs) Yeah, lucky. Great job description too. Yeah. Yes, that is in the job description. Must eat all forms of pasta. (laughs) So for this
0: last part of the interview, we like to throw in some speed questions. So just answer the first things that come to mind. Okay, here we go. If you could describe pasta using just three words, what would they be?
1: Oh, three words. Uh, Joyous. Um... Practical. Fun. That's nearly the same as joyous, but anyway.
0: (laughs) Great. And what is your favorite recipe that you've learned?
1: Panzotti, which is, yeah, it's from Liguria. And you have to forage your greens um, from the mountainside first to kind of fill the ravioli and the little um, pot-bellied ravioli. And you serve that with a walnut sauce um, with garlic. Walnut sauce with garlic.
0: Oh, yum. So what is something
1: that you've learned from the non
0: there that would surprise someone about pasta?
1: Uh, that it's easy. <laughs> I think, you know, you kind of read all these articles about pasta and all these rules and things, and actually it's much easier than that. Just do it.
0: So do you make your own at home now that you do that?
1: I do. I do. Don't um, often, you know, make it like, it's occasionally when I've got the space and the time and things, because I do, you know, with pasta grannies, it's like, I'm the producer director and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So I'm quite busy. But when I get the opportunity, and also when I'm testing recipes, I'll make the pasta. And I really enjoy it. It's quite sort of zen. um, And I I recommend it. And I I think it's also, you know, I I only learned when I started, you know, um, videoing the women. So it's not don't think you're too old to learn a pasta there's a pasta there for you to make you don't need the 90 centimeter rolling pin or anything you can do something from southern italy you know you can just make the cavatelli or whatever so there is a pasta there for you to make and enjoy
0: thank you so much for being with us today vicky
1: well thank you very much indeed for inviting me on the podcast thank you
0: for listening to Cleopatra's Bling Podcast. For more information on Vicky and to see her videos, go to pastagrannies.com or search Pastagrannies on YouTube and check out our related My Italian Summer Collection, which was inspired by the food, love and joy of life in Napoli at cleopatrasbling.com. This podcast was produced by Studio Ocenta with original music by Cameron Alva. If you liked the show, share it with a friend and send us some stars on Apple Podcasts. Until next time, stay curious.